You're listening to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show presented by SuperOps.ai, where we go behind the scenes with today's top MSP owners and experts and get to know what they are really doing to evolve their business. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. To whichever part of the world you are listening to this from, it's half past seven here, and welcome to the SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show. We're going to discuss the tactics, stories, and strategies on how MSPs are evolving and adapting to today's challenges. Today, I have a very special guest on the show. He's someone I consider to be my good friend and a confidante, Giovanni Sangali. Welcome, Giovanni, to the SuperPod, the No Filter MSP Show. Hey, Arvind, thank you for having me. Hey, everybody, glad to be on the show. All right, so to give you some context, you and me go a long way, almost 10 years. I think it's more than that. 15 like, years. 15 years. 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> long time, yeah. Long time. So good to be back in the MSV space, and it's an honor to introduce you to this at this podcast. So let me quickly introduce you. So Gio is a very passionate guy in marketing, sales, and everything under the roof of MSV. All that apart, he's also, there is an interesting fact I know about him. He loves to sketch. You should see all his sketches. He's really good in sketching. And he's also the CEO of Honey CRM, a CRM built exclusively for MSP. So let me jump right in. I know a lot about you, Gio, but for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us what you do and what Honey CRM is all about? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Giovanni Sangilli. A little bit about me. I've been in the industry for a little over 15 years. Arvind said, yes, I like to draw. Before I got into the IT channel, I was a comic book artist for DC Comics. So if you ever look around my office and see a bunch of Batman and Superman stuff, you'll know why. That kind of job is fun, but when you need to start a career, I needed something that could pay the bills a little bit more. So uh, I got into the IT industry. I started off as just a kind of a junior sales rep for an MSP out of Southern California that started doing managed services as early as 2002 to, to the enterprise and mid-level clients. And then they opened it up, switching their breaking fix clients that are on the small business side into a managed services, all you can eat agreement. And, and back then the tools, the RMM tools and PSA tools did not exist. So we were using HP OpenView and IBM Tivoli to do that. But I had a knack for it. I can't explain it. I just, the technology was fascinating to me. It came easy to me. I was able to communicate the value well. And I became successful in my role. That evolved to, you know, I started talking to our CIO. I started talking to the techs and learning more about the technology. And I said, well, you know, I can draw, right? So let me, as a way of learning, I would, you know, kind of design my own little white papers as I would ask the engineers, what is virtualization? How does that work? What is VoIP? So on and so forth. And maybe just because I'm not a, you know, a full-blown tech, I learned just enough to capture the business value. So I would create these little white papers and I would email them out using not best practices, but I would do little mail merge tools in Outlook and I would get some opportunities that way and doing call downs. And then people would say, well, you're doing marketing. I said, oh, well, I guess I'm doing marketing. <laughs> you know? And it's a passion project that just evolved. And obviously I, I matured my role and was able to help the company get sold. I was their VP of sales and marketing then. And from then on, I just went on to consult the channel for six years or so. I was the VP of Worldwide Marketing for Intel. After that, 
I started my own agency as I wanted to get back to working with the MSPs and help give back to them, you know, some help and some advice and some services they obviously needed. I mean, this industry helped my life, you know. I was a person that was born in Compton, California. They didn't have much. My mother was a victim of violent crime. So me and my brother were orphaned. We had to take care of my sister. And the channel gave me a life and a future for my family. So I do everything and anything I can to give back in the wells of sales and marketing to help these people or MSPs listening to the program, vendors help you grow your channel, grow your business, be successful in these areas. I know it can be difficult. And then that all grew to after the marketing agency, Try Digital, I wanted to create even more value at a larger scale. So I took everything I learned and I built the dedicated sales and marketing platform for the industry to help with, you know, it has AI, it has content, it has really cool features. It's integrated with your primary line of business applications, Autotask, ConnectWise, Salesforce, to really help you improve in the areas of sales and marketing. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. You. No, I always think about this, right? So you are, right? I, I think pretty much we both had a similar path where we are marketers turned CEOs in the SaaS industry. Yeah. Like pretty much marketing, self-learned marketers, self-learned SaaS entrepreneurs. I always see that you are the other side of it, Arvind from the West side. <laughs> yeah, it's so, <laughs> true. Yeah. So... You got the beards yeah. going at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> even these shaven people, you know? And without even knowing it, we both grew a beard at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> Kindred exactly. spirits, man. So you have this unique vantage point, right? So you get first-hand information from your community through the tri-digital agency and group of people you are helping in managed services space. And most importantly, you your customers from Honey Sierra. In your opinion, how do you see the market as evolving during and post-COVID? More importantly, how do you think this will impact the space? That's a good question. So, you know, COVID has taught the IT industry a lot. Well, not only is it another reminder, it's a good industry to be in as a top leading industry, right? The tech industry is big during COVID. But more importantly, I think it's changed a lot of the perspectives on how we look at certain aspects of the business, particularly business continuity, you know? For if you've been an MSP and you've been doing it for a long time, I know a lot of companies are just kind of resting on, okay, hey, business continuity, right? We have some documentation. We have ways to, you know, fail over servers, backup servers, recover backups. You know, there's amazing products that can do some of that, data and so forth. But how good is that business continuity strategy with something like COVID, you know, where it doesn't matter. It's not like the network's down. Just can't access your business. So I think people really understood that business continuity means a whole lot more. You know, it's not just backup anymore. It's not just access to your systems. What it means is to be resilient. What is business resiliency? How can you stay in business, be efficient, have your employees at a drop of a dime switch to being in a remote environment, securely access their networks, you know, if you didn't have an SD-WAN solution in place, you're choking out your VPN. If you don't have a secure file sync and share system, or you don't have a robust system to access files, if you're dealing with anything that has media files that's larger, you're going to have trouble downloading your, your files and being efficient and working on those files. You know, everybody's on Zoom. We're on Zoom right now, or there's Microsoft Teams. There's, it's become something that is far more 
than what any one technology can provide. It's really a discipline, a way of approaching business and to say, I'm here to help you be resilient, help you be productive, regardless of what can happen. Technology failure, acts of God, political arguments, you know, a, you know, a pandemic, right? So I think that's the biggest thing that these MSPs are learning to deal with and also picking your verticals. You know, uh, commercial real estate was big forever. People were in hospitality verticals, maybe retail. Those folks that were always told be hyper aggressive into certain verticals, maybe hyper focused in certain verticals, found it very difficult to continue, right? Or they took a big hit. So some of them I know have had to learn to like be website developers that can develop to go software, point of sale solutions they had to go digital menu so that people can do curbside and, and all kinds of different things. So it's rocked the industry pretty well. So I can tell you that, you know, for a lot of people. You know, it's interesting you mentioned business resilience. I'm really curious, like, can you elaborate on what you mean by it? Like what changes do investors need to make from a technical business or a financial point of view to be resilient per se? Well, I think for the most part, if you're looking at what an MSP is internally, and some MSPs have already been doing this, but a lot of us have built kind of brick and mortar office locations. And for some, that is where our SOC is located or our NOC network operations center that's built out there. And you kind of have a command center style setup of where your people are sitting. If you're a smaller MSP, just have a kind of normal office environment and you have some people working there. And typically, we try to find local talent that can come into the office and work, especially if there's project or on-site work that's needed. But I really think that one of the things that people have to make is, while it's harder and harder to find technical talent, there's always going to be a line of you know, remote employees that are going to be available in both the sales and marketing routes. And I think that this time, particularly, sales had to be conducted where it was always a face-to-face -face thing before, I think more and more sales were able to happen over Zoom meetings and things like this, and the remote technologies. So I think that they can be an open mind, lower your footprint with the commercial real estate perspective, save some of that money, reinvest it into hiring salespeople or marketing people that are very talented, that can navigate your business, help grow through these difficult times, as well as finding talent all around the world that can be a benefit to your organization. I think you're just forced to think like that. And vice versa, the businesses are the very same way. You know, businesses are now thinking about these people that had large offices that were shut down for a long time. If you were to really take a look at the commercial real estate price per square foot, some of these major markets, New York, California, and, and these people making that kind of investment where considering the situation, is it very resilient to only be brick and mortar? Or are you more permanently, right? If you look at a, a standard deviation curve of how people adopt technology, it's not like the cloud is new, right? Or being able to work remotely is something new. But, you know, you look at people that did it right away, right? They're early adopters and you kind of have, you know, the, the majority that kind of comes in as the years go by, typically within the five to 10 year cycle. And you had a lot of people that were waiting to pull the trigger. COVID has rushed everybody to the forefront. And now they're saying, well, what does a modern office look like? I think it's more inviting. I think it's fun. It's a more open concept of way to people to collaborate, way to bring clients. But it's not a way to house every single employee that you have. If you reduce your investment there, what kind of investments can you make on your technology to really rise? And this is what I call rise. It's 
resilient, being resilient, yes. being integrated, making sure that all your applications talk to each other seamlessly and you can work to be secure. The cybersecurity attacks have gone up. You know, I think the statistics were 70% ever since being in COVID and people need better and more robust secure solutions when you're not hitting behind a firewall or all the, the security that your infrastructure can offer on premise. And then finally, efficient and evolving. You have to continue to, to really look at your technology and finally look at your partner and say, okay, I am trying to meet this business outcome, right? How can I achieve that outcome? Whether Let's talk about if you're trying to sell your company. How can I sell my company for two or three X higher? How can I do it instead of 10 years? How can I do it in five years? What's the technology roadmap that'll get me there? How fast can I get there, right? And then determine the strategy. If they don't care if your technology is a burden, then let them go on that path on autopilot. That's what I like to call it. Hey, I'm going to put you on autopilot, Mr. Customer. I'm going to take you to your destination. And we're going to manage everything and be your consultant and be your trusted advisor. Or if they're an IT director and they're a big organization, let's do it co-pilot. Yep. You know, you have limited resources. You want to drive the strategy while well, I'm here right next to you. How do you want to do that journey? So between the rise concept and the autopilot co-pilot concept, you know, and business resiliency, I just think it's a huge opportunity for the partners to really be creative on how we push forward and help businesses come back bigger and better than ever, you know? It's kind of actually a blessing in disguise. I know touch wood, I should not say that. It's forcing us to think more realistically and making us do things which eventually we would have anyway done, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. You so, know, but it's kind of giving you that nudge. Go exactly. For it, you know? exactly. The push Fly you need. So, but follow up to this, right? So these are things which will embrace us to go and change for good. But again, you see winning businesses or marketing has become more challenging with the whole events industry in decline. With the absence of walk-in and meetings or events, more and more emails, like every single day, you know, we've been bombarded with mails. Like, how is gaining new businesses being a challenge for MSPs? Like, are they, is the challenge real or people winning it? What's your opinion? I think it's extremely challenging. I mean, if you look at our channel's number one problem, you know, and every survey under the sun will tell you, it's sales and marketing. And that was before a COVID, you know, wrench was thrown into the whole thing, Right. And if you look also at the nature of the business, it's a very in-person, personable, relationship-oriented sale. Because as MSPs, there's only a finite amount of vendors, right, that we resell for solutions, and we integrate those solutions and service those solutions, support them. So who you partner with or what you sell is not what makes an MSP special. It's not. It's really how you deliver those services, your philosophy around customer support and the customer experience. The processes you created, that's your intellectual property. That is your uniqueness. The process you created on handling a support ticket, right? The escalation triage, you name it. So there's all those things. And, and it's hard to articulate the value of that without having a conversation with somebody or without them having to meet you and your staff or invite them to the office to see how it's going. So while marketing was already tough, considering that fashion, how do you do it from a digital perspective? But you got to think about it that that's really where the opportunity is at now. You can't do nothing if you want to, again, rise and grow your business, right? And continue to capitalize and kind of stand out in, in a very crowded market. 
then you have to understand how to take those intangible things and leverage them from a digital perspective. So a couple real quick points. Are you using stock photography or real photography? Because you know what? If you're selling your unique style and your IP, then what makes you special is your people, your culture, your processes. If you're not sharing that online, that photographers need work right now. It's not very expensive to get that done. But that's a way of showing from a digital perspective who you are and what you're about. Are you showcasing your infrastructure? Some of you have impressive knocks and socks and and you know, in your environment that showcase that you can support their technology better than they ever could. Right. And then now you're dealing with if you're gonna do digital marketing, other people are doing it too, and it's overcrowded and email rates have hit a major decline on opening click-throughs and you see all the social media stuff that's going on and people are just, you know, cabin fever. They're tired of just doing this digital stuff. So you have to challenge yourself to say, how can I deliver 10 times more value out to a prospect than I expect to get in return? Especially something like email. People, business owners like me and you are, we get 500 emails a day, right? So if you want to stand out, how can you add 10 times as much value in your email than anybody else, right? And that could be is if you're just advertising, hey, you, here's me, I can help you during COVID, here's what I can do for you. Or do you literally give away, do you turn your internal processes into external resources? Hey, here's a business resiliency checklist. Follow the following things, go over with your existing IT service provider, do a little bit of video tutorials just right on Zoom on how to go through it and make sure that they're okay with the expectation that it just helps them that day and that it's something small and tangible and they get these things so that every time they get an email from your brand, they see like, man, this company, everywhere I look, they're just being helpful. It's a lot of good resources. They're not pitching me too hard. You know, be more unique with direct mail strategies. You know, there's, there's a really cool things. If you have a really good prospect and you find out, you have to do more research to find out where their mail to address is if they're at home, but there's LED monitors you can put inside of a box that can explain your vision, what you're trying to do. And you can give away a gift to technology. So you really have to just think about your business as a value, you know, and your marketing tactics as kind of a value meter. If you look at the Domino's pizza track or whatever, have this meter in your mind and saying in this one campaign, how much value is there? Is it 10 times more than I expect to get back? So the more, if you always focus on filling that value meter up, you're going to have more business and leads than you want. I think, yeah, as you said, it's crowded and it's time to get more personal and we yeah. should package ourselves better, right? As you said, sometimes yeah. answers are right in front of you. It's packaging your business, your people better and be more personal. That goes a long way than sending a templated yeah. email or pinging it. That's very well put. Uh, yeah. All right, so I think I have something from my team, okay? Before I move on to the next session, I'm going to read this out, just in case if you guys are saying. <laughs> I would like to give All a right. big shout out to the team that's pulling this together. If you folks are enjoying this episode, show some love, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It will help us bring more amazing guests like Giovanni on the show to share amazing stories to embassies from the front lines. Right, that I had to say. So, thanks. Everyone. <laughs> <You got> it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go for so, it. Yeah, I'm from IT, right? So I've, I've pretty much 15 years I've been building IT service management and IT operation management product. And I've seen and I've spoken to a few of the IT guys and I see that there are some new challenges IT is facing, like the distributed IT workforce. The sysadmin team doesn't sit in one location anymore. 
the employees uh, working from home, different locations, distributed workforce, right? How do you see internal IT and MSPs working together in addressing these challenges? So there were two different worlds before. IT who outsourced their infrastructure needs to MSPs and IT which took care of it themselves. I think today the both worlds are coming together. Do you see this as a challenge or an opportunity? Well, what do you think will happen now? It's always going to be an opportunity. It, it really depends on how you evolve with, this, with the circumstances. You, you got to remember that the concept of internal IT departments and outsourcing MSPs is it's you being an extension of their workforce. Any CIO of any organization always is dealing with budget constraints, resource constraints. I don't think you know user management and doing that level one, level two stuff that bogs a person like that in an IT department down from doing strategic things is ever going to go out of style. I think if you have a really good process for it, you can take that business all day. But then specializing on certain things, they're going to want, you know, we have the benefit of being as MSPs going to all these events and learning about all these different technologies and the different solutions, right? That internal IT departments typically don't do. So, and security is more of a, it is more of an issue than ever before. And I really think that, you know, I mean, MSP out there, you got to build an MSSP practice. You got to have a SOC. You got to have all these disciplines to really help because what I'm seeing across all my clients is that the more you're involved with security and you have a solution for that, especially in the mid-market to enterprise, you know, you have a bunch of co-managed opportunities and new business opportunities that are there. There's just a ton of money there. So like I said, I really don't think it's going anywhere. That's going to change very much as far as just, okay, situations are different now. They're kind of coming together. Their traditional infrastructure stuff is just not going to cut it. They're going to look for specialized resources in areas of expertise where they don't have resources. And the more you can show yourself and market those capabilities and build yourself as a trusted advisor within your community, the more opportunities you're going to have still in that space. And those are some large contracts and they pay well. So in marketing words, the time has gone bigger. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. So quick follow-up question. If you were to give one advice to the existing SaaS vendors in this MSP space, what would it be? Oh, goodness. And you are I'm a SaaS vendor as well. I'm a SaaS vendor too. <laughs> you know, I really think that what I can give to any vendor right now doesn't even matter SaaS. I think you really have to, the one piece of advice I can give you is to really put all your eggs into partner enablement, you know. This is going to be a tough time for partners. Every vendor knows, every vendor knows that they have 20% of their partner base that pretty much drives 80% of the revenue. And sales and marketing is a huge challenge. And considering the constraints nowadays, it's even going to be more. And a lot of times, you know, there's the incentives are very programmatic. It's like, oh, you do this and I'll give you blank. Instead of you really working down and getting into and involved with the partner's business and figuring out what makes them tick. For example, I am in a unique position running the marketing organization where I was talking, consulting with all of our clients as their CMO, and they would tell me all their woes. And one of the things is they really want to market and they really want to sell more of the vendor services, but they're looking at these PRM portals and these partner portals, okay? And they're saying to themselves, yeah, there's a lot of content here, right? 
A, I don't know how to group all the content together to put it towards a campaign. I may not have resources to brand out those assets myself. I have to find a graphic designer on Upwork. I have to do whatever I want to do. Each vendor has their own portal. So in order for me to get MDF money, I have to register the deal in eight different portals. You know, because if you're selling, if you have eight vendors on average, and let's say each vendor, you know, kind of use some portals, you're going to have to learn four, five, six portals or PRM solutions just to be able to market your business. So it's a mismatch here where I feel like while we, the vendors control the product, we really have to do our best to integrate not just with their primary line of business applications from a technical perspective, but integrate ourselves directly into their workflow. Try to design your partner programs in realms of which ways to understand how does your MSP conduct business? What's their sales cycle? How do they work to make it efficient for them? Because there's less of us than there are of them. So if we really want to drive change, we really have to get in there and start having these conversations and then try to look at your middle base because you have 20% that are amazing. Another 20%, man, if they could just turn that corner, do a little bit of marketing, they'd be fantastic. That group there, have a board level conversation with them, have annual meetings, help them develop a marketing plan, figure out what their, what their challenges are, what some creative ideas that we can do together. Collaborate with other vendors that are non-competitive to you and drive a holistic solution to the partner that's embedded within their workflow to maximize their ability to sell and market your services. That's how we grow together as a channel. You know, they're the seeds. They hold the trusted advisor relationship with our clients. They hold everything, right? And all that's stopping them is limited marketing acumen, sales acumen, and limited resources. And thankfully for some of us that have been successful, we have the resources to give, but in an appropriate way that is partner first, a second. Remember, we have to abide by two, 10 times more value out than we expect to get back. And the universe kind of takes care of itself. You know, for a marketing guy, that's as much science as I can give to that. I think it's interesting times and we need desperate measures, be it a partner or a vendor or a customer or an NFT, right? I think we need to evolve as a community and there is no ignoring that. All right, folks, I have something interesting. I have planned a rapid fire for Gio. I'm going to ask him. Point blank question where he doesn't think and he has to answer immediately. So it's going to be interesting. All right. Are you, are you ready for the questions? I'm ready. All right. So what is your one marketing pet peeve? One night stand. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. To elaborate that. The marketing, one, <laughs> the marketing one night stand. It's, oh, I tried this one campaign. It didn't work. It, marketing sucks. It doesn't Sorry. work. Yeah, nice, nice. That's a good one. All right. <laughs> okay. What's the best time to send cold email? 10 a.m. on Wednesday, considering big data analysis. That's what the answer is. <laughs> nice, nice. And if you were to recommend a good MSP website or a blog to follow, what would that be? A good MSP website for MSPs to like read information? Yeah, to read information. I think... Oh, that's tough. I can't give you a rapid fire answer because <laughs> there's a lot of people have some really good stuff. I like channel E to E. I like channelnomics. I think C, of course, the big ones, CRN and channel pro are still good, but I'm actually enjoying the most is right now is actually Forrester. Jay McBain's over yeah. there yeah. and he's, he's fantastic. And he's got a lot of data. So that's kind of new for our space. I would 
encourage you to go there and spend some more time to read some of the data he's got. It's great. Right, so if you were to recommend a marketing channel for the MSPs to at least win MSP uh, team size of one to five or six to 20 or 20, to 20 plus, right? Like there are different sizes of MSPs. If you were to go and win, what would be the channels you would recommend? Like something new. As far as channels, as far as, are you referring to strategies, Arvind, that they, sure, that they yeah. okay. They should try, yeah. Right now, digital marketing, of course. I think to give you a better, more finite answer, I'd really start off with email marketing before you start spending money on advertising because that is the most cost-effective way to test your message. You can develop the same landing pages and the same content, but you can A-B test emails. You can get them out more frequently. The cost is really low. Check the engagement first on your emails, and when they go to the page, check the conversion. If those are working out the way you want it to, now you can invest the money on Google pay-per-click and the remarketing and everything else. And you know that when folks arrive on that page, you're going to have a higher conversion rate already. This will give you the confidence to, to stick with it long-term. So again, if you're a smaller company, I would focus on getting your email content right, make sure that the assets work, and then graduate to doing pay-per-click advertising, social media, digital advertising, remarketing. That's really what I would do. And then do podcasts like this and live streams for those of you that are more mature and have the resources. I think there's... Like I said, there's a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of businesses trying to figure out ways to evolve and, and come back from COVID strong. So the more you can get your voice out there and, and help your community, the better they'll be for it. And I have the last rapid fire question. Is sure. AI the next big thing in MSP space? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes. So I can give you a perfect example. Okay. So what you're seeing in the MSP space as far as hedge funds, and I can tell you here in Dallas, there's a $100 million hedge fund out there to consolidate the market for something that's called hyper-automation through AI, okay? And what hyper-automation means is that you have your RMM tools that would scan the environment and audit the environment and bring you back all this data on what's going on, right? if a server's going to go down or, or PC, the status of their antivirus, all this kind of stuff, right? Now they're actually able to do that with this business process automation tools and see what every single user is doing within the environment. DVR sessions of how many times they click to just execute one normal workflow. So you look at a, an application of something like this. Let me give you an example, a real world example. One of my clients did in healthcare to win a multi-million dollar contract. So what happened was, is in healthcare, a lot of the receivables sit out here for a long period of time, typically because HIPAA reasons, you need the doctors to sign the patient files and so forth. And doctors want to see patients, they don't want to do paperwork, right? So this hyper automation software was able to figure out the process and how, what it took to process, basically get the signature done and process it all the way through so they can get paid out through insurance or wherever else. So... But what they built was these AIs, an AI engine that would look at the stuff that was coming in from these process automation software and said, hey, okay, I'm seeing this pattern repeated over and over again. So now as an AI can see an aging AR patient file, text message the doctor and say, hey, doctor, would you like us to sign this patient record for you? They reply with the why and it executes the whole process that doctor did before. So the receivables, right, 
we saw an increase of 70% as far as speed to, to funding, which represented tens of millions of dollars for that firm, right? So AI is definitely in the future. That is one application, but considering what it means to be resilient, having more efficient workforce, this is really going to dictate a way for us to do business that is really error-free, right? Or not error-free, nothing's ever error-free, but reduces the chances of errors that can do it faster than a human being could and gives us that kind of instant response that this, I guess, socially we're being prepped for anyway. You know, so I happen to put all my bets on it. I think it's going to be huge. Absolutely. I think, as I said before, we are going to face new challenges, newer problems. To overcome those challenges, I think AI is going to be a very good tool for all the listeners out there. Please do invest in AI. That's going to be the future. And that's going to change the game. It will. And the last thing I can say to that is some of the people now that are seeing doing it, some of these bigger MSPs that are growing and you know, at a massive rate are investing in rocks. And what a rock is, just like a SOC is a security operations center and a NOC is a network operations yeah, center, a robotic operations center where people are looking at these AI processes that are going out and doing these things. And whenever a bot, you know, has a hiccup, someone in the rock will get an alert of that, manually execute the process and keep the AI working as it's supposed to. So very interesting future for us if you're willing to embrace it. Okay. Well, yeah. I have one last question for you. Right? Sure. So we are going to do a series of great speakers and you are one of our very first speaker who was great today, right? So I would want you to pass the baton on and if you were to recommend who we should bring as a next speaker to the show, who will you recommend? My A-lister, okay, is Dan Pena. We can get him on the show. I think, <laughs> okay. I think I, he'd be... I'll uh, put it this way. Someone we can bring. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd be... I, man, I think the, the, he, the channel will be in for a rude awakening. That guy's pretty... I want to bring hilarious. Beyonce as well. Come on, Gio. That got me I can give you two recommendations. I think if you want to really understand service delivery excellence, you can bring on Eric Simpson. He's great for that. If you want to bring on someone that really understands sales and marketing, then you can bring Gary Beecham and things that he's doing there. So those will be two solid recommendations I can give you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gio. It was a wonderful session. Guys, those were like really, really great information. Business resilience, it's time to evolve, and all kind of marketing best practices you could learn from this podcast today. Thank you so much for the time, Gio, and look forward to having you in much more of these kind of podcasts in the future. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Arvin. It's good just talking with you again. And for everybody watching virtually, thank you for spending time listening to me. I can be long-winded. Okay. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. You guys have a good one. You too. All right. Yes. Bye-bye.